And we'll be looking at 1 Samuel 15 in just a little while. be reading a lot and teaching a little, hopefully. You guys look better tonight. Some of you went home and shined your shoes, I can tell. <laughs> I did get a few comments on that one. Younger member showed me his and said these are supposed to be matte black. He said, not everybody wears them shiny old men shoes. <laughs> there was only one person that really got the whole lesson, though. Well, one guy came up and asked me, he said he wanted to get to know me, wanted to hear my story. He wanted to know what happened in my childhood that made me so weird about shoes. <laughs> I told him I, I think he had it figured out. My daddy always shined his shoes. and I shined mine. I think people ought to shine their shoes. I was only half joking this morning, by the way. All right, let's talk about Samuel. We've been working on him for a few weeks as one of our faith walkers. Talked a couple of weeks about him, looked at his mother's prayer. Uh, and then last time we talked about listening to God and how Samuel took a while to hear God, although he was hearing God without understanding or listening. Uh, tonight we want to talk about obeying God. And there's a story in 1 Samuel 15 which really, really illustrates what obedience to God means. And we've looked at this story, I don't know, a few years ago. We used it as we were talking about sin, but uh, of all the stories of Samuel, I think this is one that might help us the, the most as faith walkers. So we're going to go through the 15th chapter and see if we can find out some things about obeying God straight from the Word, and then we'll make some applications. So the story is that Samuel brings Saul some instructions. Now, Samuel anointed Saul, and then he kind of went into retirement, although God still used him, and Saul still sought his advice sometimes. Uh, next week, in fact, I think we'll look at Samuel's farewell address, see what he had to say in that. But uh, tonight, the, Samuel brings Saul some instructions. In 15 verse 1, he says, I am the one the Lord sent to you, anoint you king over his people Israel. So listen now to the message from the Lord. This is what the Lord Almighty says. I will punish the Amalekites for what they did to Israel when they waylaid them as they came up from Egypt. Now go, attack the Amalekites, and totally destroy everything that belongs to them. Do not spare them. Put to death men and women, children and infants, cattle and sheep, camels and donkeys. Okay, so that's the instructions. Straight from God through Samuel, go destroy the Amalekites. Sounds a little harsh to us, doesn't it? Uh, women and children and all of that. Uh, if you go back and read the history, you can get a little better understanding of it. The Amalekites were not nice people. Uh, when the Israelites had come out of Egypt, the Amalekites hung back and watched the back of the group and uh, all of the weak and elderly and all that. They picked them off as they went. So they weren't good folks. Uh, plus, they worshipped pagan gods and all that. And God was trying to clear the land of them. 
And we still got problems with the Amalekites here in 1 Samuel 15. So God says, we're going to take care of this. Saul, you go do it. You get rid of them completely. Don't save anything. Uh, totally destroy everything. All right. Jumping down to verse 7, we see what Saul did. Verse 7. Then Saul attacked the Amalekites all the way from Havilah to Shur to the east of Egypt. He took Agag, king of the Amalekites, alive. And all his people he totally destroyed with the sword. But Saul and the army spared Agag and the best of the sheep and cattle and the fat calves and lambs. Uh, Everything that was good. These they were unwilling to destroy completely. But everything that was despised and weak, they totally destroyed. Well, isn't that an interesting story? Uh, The instructions were fairly clear. I think, I know the real little kids left, but I think everybody else in here is old enough to figure out what God meant in the instruction. Totally destroy everything. How'd Saul do on that? Not well. He and his guys kept Agag alive, the king, and all of the best flock, and they kept some other things, evidently. Uh, They just didn't want to destroy everything completely. Okay? So we've got some obedience. We've obviously got some disobedience. Now we get God dealing with it. Verse 10. Then the word of the Lord came to Samuel. I'm grieved that I've made Saul king because he's turned away from me and has not carried out my instructions. Samuel was troubled, and he cried out to the Lord all that night. Early in the morning, Samuel got up and went to meet Saul. But he was told, Saul has gone to Carmel. There he has set up a monument in his own honor and has turned and gone on down to Gilgal. So Saul's off on this glory trip of his own. And verse 13, when Samuel finally reached him, Saul said, now watch this now, the Lord bless you. I have carried out the Lord's instructions. But Samuel said, what then is the bleeding of the sheep in my ears? What is the lowing of the cattle that I hear? Saul answered, well, the soldiers brought them from the Amalekites. Uh, They spared the best of the sheep and cattle to sacrifice to the Lord your God. But we totally destroyed the rest. Some of your parents are kind of grinning here. You're you're seeing a similarity. The kids say, yeah, I did everything you said. Well, I did it a little bit different, but I did it. That's Saul's story. This is his excuse, his cover-up. First he says the soldiers did it, and then he explains, well, we kept a few things, but we totally destroyed everything else. Well, verse 16, Samuel's had it. Stop, Samuel said to Saul. Let me tell you what the Lord said to me last night. Well, tell me, Saul replied. Samuel said, although you were once small in your own eyes, did you not become the head of the tribes of Israel? The Lord anointed you king over Israel. And he sent you on a mission, saying, Go and completely destroy those wicked people, the Amalekites. Make war on them until you've wiped them out. Why did you not obey the Lord? Why did you pounce on the plunder and do evil in the eyes of the Lord? Catch this. Verse 20. But I did obey the Lord. 
said Saul. I went on the mission the Lord assigned me. I completely destroyed the Amalekites, brought back Agag, their king, and the soldiers. They're the ones that took the sheep and cattle from the plunder, the best of what was devoted to God in order to sacrifice them to the Lord your God at Gilgal. But Samuel replied, Does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as as much as in obeying the voice of the Lord? To obey is better than sacrifice, and to heed is better than the fat of rams. So there's the story of Saul's cover-up. Samuel's confrontation, Saul's, he denies it, he covers it up, he makes excuses, he has alibis, he goes through all this stuff. Verse 24, then Saul said to Samuel, I've sinned. I violated the Lord's command and your instructions. I was afraid of the people, so I gave in to them. Now I beg you, forgive my sin and come back with me so that I may worship the Lord. Samuel said, I will not go back with you. You've rejected the word of the Lord. And the Lord has rejected you as king over Israel. Samuel turned to leave. Saul caught hold of the hem of his robe and it tore. Samuel said to them, The Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you today and has given it to one of your neighbors, to one better than you. He who is the glory of Israel does not lie or change his mind, for he is not a man that he should change his mind. Saul replied, I have sinned, but but please honor me before the elders of my people and before Israel. Come back with me so that I may worship the Lord your God. So Samuel went back with Saul and worshiped the Lord. Okay. So here's kind of a strange repentance thing. Saul gets it finally after Samuel told him. He said, yeah, you made supposedly going to make sacrifices with the animals, but God likes obedience better than that. You disobey God and then burn a bunch of sacrifices. That uh, doesn't cut it. He wants obedience. Okay, so Saul finally got it and repented, as far as we know, sincerely. Not sure, but he seemed to be sincere, except for the fact that he finally ended up, all right, I've sinned, but help me save face. (laughs) Go back with me and let me make sacrifices, and if you're there, people think everything's all right, and they won't know. And that's kind of how it went on for a while after this, so maybe that's what he had in mind. Okay. So all of that's very interesting about obedience and disobedience and repentance and all that. Now here's the, le- the, the lesson part of this story is in the next few verses. Verse uh, 20, 32. Then Samuel said, after he's done all this, dealt with Saul, watched him make sacrifices, all of that. Then Samuel said, bring me a gag king of the Amalekites. And Agag came to him confidently, thinking, surely the bitterness of death is past. He thinks, I made it. They hadn't killed me yet. I'm going to be all right. But Samuel said, as your sword has made women childless, so will your mother be childless among women. And Samuel put Agag to death before the Lord at Gilgal. 
You really got to read that in the King James where it says, And Samuel hacked Agag to pieces. Samuel got the sword and hacked Agag to pieces in front of the Lord. Okay? There's the lesson about obedience. Samuel dealt with Saul, he handled that, all the physical stuff, the repentance, all that. But God still had to be obeyed. So Samuel took care of it. Samuel was the prophet. Samuel was the judge. Samuel was the man that worked directly for God. So he demonstrated, here's full obedience. Very interesting story. A lot of stuff in that story. Now, I think we could quit there and really understand about obedience somewhat. Uh, But I want to apply it to the problem in our life as faith walkers is the problem of sin. Uh, The story of Saul and Agag and Samuel finally having to do the job for him and all that, Saul had very definite, clear commands, didn't he? What was the command? Put to death all the Amalekites. Totally destroy them. Get rid of all of them. All their animals, all everything. Okay. We've got some clear instructions too. And I put them down there in the second part of the page. Uh, Colossians 3, 5. Paul said, put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature. And Romans 8.13 says, For if you live according to the sinful nature, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. All right, so in the kingdom, since we've been talking about kingdom living, in the kingdom we have a different view of sin than the world does. The world thinks, well... Almost all sin's all right. Every once in a while you'll hear about one that's gross enough that even the world said, whoa, that's, that's bad. We've got to do something to that fellow. You know, so the world gets shocked occasionally, but in general they put up with anything. Okay. In the kingdom, Paul's telling us there in Colossians and Romans, that in the kingdom we've got a different picture of sin. We've died to sin, so how can we live in it? And we need to work at putting it to death. Will we ever get it totally destroyed? No, because we've got a fleshly nature. But that's what we're supposed to work at, is trying to put it to death. And it's far different from tolerating it and and excusing it and putting up with it. And even like they were doing in Corinth, they were celebrating it. They were saying, look how tolerant we are. We can put up with this sin. No, as Christians, we're supposed to be putting it to death. Now, if it was as easy as just one guy, I mean, if we just had old Agag here, we could hack him to pieces. (laughs) But sin is a little tougher. Each of us has got to hack sin to pieces in our own life, whatever it is. And we all got different problems, so we all got to work on whatever bothers us. Okay, so what I thought we'd use for a faith walker illustration tonight is some helpful hints on 
practical steps to full obedience. If we're supposed to put sin to death, what are some good ways to do that? Okay, so that's what I've got down here is four or five suggestions on how to put sin to death. Uh, hack it to pieces. The first one is abstain from sinful desires. Abstain from sinful desires. You say, what? Well, kind of no duh. Uh, obviously, if you, you want to put sin to death, you stay away from sinful desires. But the reason you got to do that is that's the way sin works. Let's look at, uh, if I can find First Peter. First Peter 2.11. Dear friends, I urge you as aliens and strangers in the world to abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul. Well, that sounds kind of simple, doesn't it? Well, James explains it a little better to us. James explains why that's so tricky to abstain from sinful desires. Go over to James chapter 1, just one book back there. Start in verse 13. James says in one thirteen, When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God can't be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when, by his own evil desire, he is dragged away and enticed. Then after sin has conceived... It gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. Now, that's a whole sermon right there. We don't have time to do all of that. But that's how sin works. How the whole temptation process works. And what First Peter 2.11 says is stay away from that first step. Okay, What's James say? Look at this now. Uh, each one is tempted... God doesn't tempt you. You're tempted when, by his own evil desire, he's dragged away and enticed. Okay? So the very first step is we all have a sinful desire. And I'd guess most of us have more than one. But each one of you, James says, James knows that we all got different ones. Different things bother you than bother me, than bother him, than bother her. We all got different things. Some things that trouble you don't bother me at all. I'm not tempted a bit. That's not a desire that I've got a problem with. But we know what ours are. So that's where James starts. He says, when you, you know what this is, and then it drags you, temptation gets in there and starts dragging you that direction... And then, if it conceives, then you sin. It's not sin to have the desire. had not sinned yet. It's not a sin to be tempted. Jesus was tempted. Okay? Uh, no sin yet. But when your desire and the temptation comes, and don't think Satan doesn't know what you're saying. Your desire is. He knows. So he'll figure a way to drag you that direction. And if you let it drag you that direction, then you sin, and then that brings death. Yeah, that's the whole step. But what's the solution, First Peter says? Just stay away from the sinful desire. 
Okay? You know what your problem is. Just abstain, just try to stay away from that. Some of you have seen the old Bob Newhart comedy skits where he plays the psychiatrist and people come in and say they've got this problem in their life. And that this is their hang up and this is what happens and they go this direction and all that. And when they get all, he gets all done listening to them, he just says, well, stop it. You know, and they, they look at him kind of funny and it's hilarious routine. It goes on and on. He just tells everybody, well, just stop it. That's actually the answer. <laughs> stop going near that sinful desire. Yeah, it's always going to be there. It's always, well, by the Spirit, you can put it to death, but it's going to be there. But abstain from it. Don't feed it in any way. Don't. In fact, the next one that gets close, closer to explaining what I mean is make no provisions for the flesh, Romans 13, 14 says. Don't even get close to it. If you know that's a problem, if that's your evil desire, then don't go near it. The NIV translates that. It says, don't think about how to gratify the flesh. If you've got an evil desire and you think about it all the time, pretty soon it's going to draw you away. So Romans 13, 14 says, don't make any provision for it. Try to keep it out of your mind. Put other things in there. Don't even think about it. What's that mean? Well, if your problem's gluttony and you're sitting around at night, and you think, man, I'm really hungry and i got a pocket full of money. I, I could be a good idea to go to the grocery store right now. Romans 13, 14 said, no, don't, don't provide the, the flesh that. Don't go there. Wait until you aren't hungry. Just get what you need. Have somebody else do your shopping. Do something. If your problem's gossip... And you got one friend that always wants to go to lunch with you, so they can, you can, she can gossip with you, or he can gossip with you. Don't go. Okay? Make no provision for the flesh. Okay? If your problem's pornography or sexual addiction or some sort, don't have the things around that are easy to get you there. Don't have all the premium movie channels where most of the junk is. Don't have any TV where the rest of the junk is. Do whatever it takes. Uh, These are tips to be obedient to God completely. Okay, third one. Meditate on God's Word. Psalm 119.11. You can find all sorts of good stuff in Psalm 119. <laughs> a long chapter. Psalm 119, verse 11. David said, I have hidden your word in my heart. Well, that's real good, David. That I might not sin against you. How did David decide, I will put to death 
these sinful desires and all that. He said, I'll store up God's word in my heart. I'll meditate it. I'll put something in there. What are you putting in there when you put the word of God in there? Putting the sword of the spirit. If you're going to hack something to pieces, you need a sword. If you're going to hack sin to pieces, you need a sword. David said, I put your sword. I put it in there. And... That I may not sin against you. The word of God will come to your mind when you need it. It'll help you defeat sin. It'll help you from being pulled that direction and heading towards sin. Fourth one I put down is pray. And a couple of verses there are specific about praying that you may not sin. It's okay to pray that stuff. Matthew 6.13, famous prayer, lead us not into temptation. Okay, go back up to the first one. Practical step, abstain from sinful desires, makes no provisions for it. God, help me today to not go where I shouldn't go. It's not like God's going to lead you to temptation, but you're asking him, help prepare the way where you don't get close to that stuff. Help me make the right choices about people and things I do so I stay away from that. Help lead me away from temptation. And David prayed in Psalm 19, 13, keep your servant from sin. You can pray for this. I mean, if you're serious about this. Saul wasn't serious. Saul said, yeah, I know he told me that, but man, some of that stuff's good. I can't get rid of all of it. He wasn't very serious. If we're serious as faith walkers, we can do some of these things. Last one, set your mind on things above. It's all in your head. It's all all in your mind. If you get that set, okay, I don't want sin in my life anymore. I do want to overcome that. I want to put to death with the help of the Spirit these problems in my life. Then you set your mind on it. Set your mind on things above, you can do it. That's when things begin to work. When does a diet work? Let me ask you this way. Which diets work? All diets work. No matter how goofy they are. Yeah, grapefruit, whatever. They all work if you do them. But you don't do them until you set your mind to do it. Oh, you start a lot without your mindset. But when you get your mindset, then you really do them. So that's the last tip there. Now, actually, let me give you one more tip here. Uh, a little help here on this. Uh, the last tip, I guess, is is get some help from brothers and sisters. If you're really working on this, if you're really trying to put sin to death, uh, ask somebody to... Help keep you accountable. And some of you are in accountability groups or uh, areas where you, you have that. But if you don't, that's a good idea to get somebody to work on it with you. Uh, and my illustration of that is uh, some of you kids have already been thinking about this as we went through this Bible story up here, you third and fourth graders, if you're still in here. Uh, because I did this lesson at family camp. Cindy and I taught the third and fourth graders. And this is the lesson we had about obedience to God. And so we told the story and did a few other things. Um, 
And then to, to illustrate, I tried to think of some little game or something that would illustrate this to kids. So here's what I came up with. Uh, I had a table set up in the room and I had a bunch of trash piled on it. And in the trash, I scattered a few quarters. So there were a couple of dollars worth of quarters in there. And I just left that over there through all the early parts of the stuff and, and all that. And then after we had told the story and after we had it kind of figured out, I said, uh, I've got to go for just a minute. I've got to go to the bathroom. I'll be right back. I said, I need somebody to clean this table up for me. I said, I want everything on that table thrown in the trash can. I want it completely cleaned off when I come back. Okay. Now, I'd set this up with my granddaughter, with Kate. She was my plant because somebody needed to know the game. So Kate's job was she was going to be in charge of the cleanup crew, but she was going to pocket all the quarters instead of throwing them away. Okay. And then the plan was when I came back in, I was going to say, well, did you get the table cleaned up? Yes, sir, I got the table cleaned up. Well, then why do I hear money jingling in your pocket? Oh, well, I kept that, but I was going to put it in the plate on Sunday. Okay, so that was our script. Okay, so (laughs) we pulled the stunt. I said, I got to leave for a little bit. I said, somebody needs to clean this table. Kate, would you be in charge? Pick a couple people to help you. I want that table completely cleaned off when I come back in. So I came back in. A few minutes later, Kate was standing sheepishly up at the front, and all the other kids were. (laughs) They were ratting her out. (laughs) They completely sold her out. So I tried to ignore them. I said, be quiet, be quiet a minute. So I asked Kate the questions, and she played it well and said, yep. said, I did the job perfectly. You know, I cleaned the table. Good. What what I hear money for? Well, I was going to take it Sunday and put it in the collection plate. Oh, okay. So anyhow, we went through all that. Well, then I got the rest of the story later. Kate tells me, she said, that was hard. She said, they, they about killed me. <laughs> and Cindy stayed in there with them. She said, the, the rest of the class went berserk when she started pocketing the quarters. Uh, they knew she wasn't supposed to do that. Okay, And so they ganged up on her physically trying to take the quarters away from her. <laughs> Kate had to fight them off. Okay. So uh, <laughs> she lived through it somehow, but and we got the quarters put in the right place. But anyhow, the, the last tip there from that is get a brother or sister to help you. You know, if a brother or sister understands what you're dealing with and what you need help with, and they know the obedience, it may not be something they got to pray. No, nobody else in there would have thought of stealing a quarter. You know, they were going to obey Steve completely. Well, somebody that had that weakness uh, through the plan needed some help. Some of us need some help. So that's the last tip on that. Next week we'll talk about Samuel's farewell address and see if he's got any advice for Northside in 2013. If you're here this evening and need some help from this congregation and dealing with things in your life. We'd like to be a help to you in any way we could. If you need to put Christ on in baptism, we're already always ready to help you. Uh, if you need anything this evening publicly, why don't you come? Let's stand and sing.